This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder and executive director of the 20 plus year old nonprofit organization, the Lynn Cohen Foundation, and the SEAM, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing female founders, entrepreneurs, scientists, doctors, researchers to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. I'm here today with Taylor Labalarte, um, who's part of the Orange Theory team. But more importantly, what we are going to talk about is this idea of pre-vibing, which is what I call taking your health and wellness into your own hands and creating your own future, being knowledgeable, educational about what your level of risk in terms of breast or ovarian cancer means to you, getting all the facts and figures, and then making smart decisions for a healthy long life, or at least knowing you did everything that you could and wanted to do because sometimes things happen. And Taylor's story is um, your life. The word story always thinks a little strange, but your life is really meaningful and incredible. And I'm really looking forward to you sharing it and talking about what pre-viving means to you and how you've actually done that. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Taylor. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you for asking me to to be a part of this. Um, I didn't know much about being a pre-viver or anything like that until I kind of entered into this, into this world. And um, it, it's odd. It's a, a blessing and a weird sort of feeling or um, thing to attach yourself to. But my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was in college. And so I spent my college years going through that process with her. She had a double mastectomy. She did chemo and radiation treatment. Uh, and I was present for that whole process. And I then started to study what everything meant, everything that she was going through. And I got to meet other breast cancer survivors or current current patients. And so I was just learning about breast cancer because I had no idea. It hit my family like a, a ton of bricks. Um, and so I, I needed to know everything I could possibly know about it. I then started to learn about how breast cancer is attached uh, to other cancers. And my grandma was battling pancreatic cancer at the time. And they're sort of in the same, same lineage. So when my mom and I learned that information, she she wanted to get genetic testing done to see if she was a carrier and if then I would be a carrier of the BRCA2 or 1 gene. So my mom went to do genetic testing and insurance did not cover the test because she needed another family member to have shown either the gene or a specific cancer in order for the insurance to cover the testing. And it was just too expensive. So we took a shot in the dark to see if I would be able to get genetic testing done because I then would have had two family members with this, the lineage of cancers that would technically cover under insurance. So I did, and I saw a genetic counselor and specialist, and I was able to receive genetic testing. So I didn't immediately 
go into it because I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get this information and it can go either one or two ways. And I kept thinking, well, if I learn this, how is this going to change the course of my life? So I sat with it for a little bit, but at the same time, I'm watching my mom go through this. And there was this heaviness and the sadness because my mom is, is so uncomfortable. And at the same time, I'm like, well, what if I have to do this someday? So the decision to get genetic testing, the pros kind of outweighed the cons for me. So I did the testing. I learned a lot about different cancers and how they all are related to one another. Uh, and then I did test positive for the RCA2 genetic mutation. And uh, I, I had some friends luckily who, not luckily, but who were positive for BRCA1. So they gave me books uh, and things to kind of learn. And there was one book that the title always escapes me, but the girl that wrote it said she felt like a ticking time bomb and I couldn't relate to anything more. I just felt like at any point in time, at any moment, I could just have breast cancer. And that is true of, of many women. I, they, I believe they say one in eight women will develop breast cancer. But now when you have this genetic mutation, you're more disposed than they were telling me the percentages. They were like, oh, well, you have like an 85% chance by the time you're 36 of getting breast cancer. And at the time I was in my mid to late twenties. And I'm like, that's not, that's not far. And then I kept thinking my mom just went for a mammogram was fine. And then all of a sudden she has breast cancer. And so over the course of a year for her, it developed. And I'm like, so it can really just pop up and you're not going to know. Um, so then I was like, well, I'm going to want to test all the time. Like every month I'm going to want to test. And I, was very flat chested prior to my um, surgery. And so getting a mammogram wasn't an option for me because there was nothing to read on the mammogram. So they had discussed that with me and they're like, well, we could do, you could do self exams and, you know, there's other ways we can test, but you would test once a year. And I was like, once a year, like my mom they didn't offer you other options besides mammogram. They didn't offer, like, they didn't talk to you about ultrasound. They didn't talk to you about they said blood work and ultrasound is what they could do as well as examinations okay. outside of the, outside of the mammogram. Right. But I just kept thinking like, it's going to come up so fast and I, I'm just going to be so on edge. I'm going to want to test more than once a year. And they're yeah. like, well, you're young. And I'm like, okay, but like there, I'm also reading that there's 18 year olds that are getting breast cancer. Like, so it doesn't know age. So, and they're like, well, you're healthy. I'm like, I feel like it doesn't matter. So everything that people were saying to me and like, you can wait, you don't have to be proactive about it. It just wasn't, it wasn't easing my mind enough. So I figured I'm very young, I'm healthy. If I'm going to do a preventative bilateral mastectomy, now is going to be the time. Um, my work was very, very supportive of me and giving me time off and my insurance was going to cover the procedure. So I was like, it just seems like a no brainer to me. I don't want to live in this constant state of fear or confusion. Mm -hmm. Like it just felt like this lingering cloud or this lingering weight that was on top of me. Mm -hmm. So I then made the decision to do the bilateral uh, double mastectomy. Uh, and I broke it up into two surgeries. So I did the mastectomy and then months later after I did expanders, I did the revision, revision surgery. 
And it is the best decision I could have ever made for myself. And I have this conversation with my mom all the time, like going through that process not only took the weight off of my shoulders, but it gave me such a newfound strength that I never had before. It was like, if I could get through that, I can get through anything. And if I have the voice to make this decision for myself, I can make any sort of decision I need to in my life. So it became this really empowering decision that I made. And it it had its ups and downs for sure. But nothing feels better than like the strength I had on the other side and to have that cloud and that weight lifted off of me. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm blo- I mean, it's, that's, I mean, it's amazing. The it, so many different parts of this, I want to break down and talk about, but I guess last part first, which is when you said the word empower, that's like all that was blasting through my brain. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that you describe that it sort of trickles into everything in your life, that if you can make this kind of life-changing decision where you're truly taking your control of your future and ticking away this, you know, black cloud of cancer hanging over your head, mm-hmm. it does give you the power to make any decision in your life, whether it's, you know, personal, social romantic, whatever job change, anything moving, like it's nothing compared to what you decided to do, which is so incredibly inspiring and motivating and beautiful. Um, and thank you for telling in such amazing detail what you went through. And the interesting thing is, is that I know that it's all so vivid in your brain and like you remember every piece of it because it was so important and impactful, right? And to make those decisions. Um, from the beginning of what you were talking about, it's mind-blowing that we're not going to have a whole health care, you know, discussion of insurance, but it is mind-blowing that your mom couldn't get tested <laughs> for yeah. because the, that information, you know, wouldn't just be for her. That's sort of the main part of it, right? Like your mom, it's not just for her, it's for you and for any other family member, you know, for that matter. Um, and how far do you have to go back in your family history to tell the insurance company, well, this many women have had cancer and no, we don't know exactly what it was because it was 60 years ago. And, you know, maybe it was, liver cancer, but maybe it originated in her ovaries, who knows, um, somewhere down the road and which is why we do what we do. And so the Lynn Cohen foundation, I told you about this when we spoke, um, women who are at increased risk for breast ovarian cancer come in and you have access to all of these incredible tools, including genetic counseling and genetic testing. If everyone wants that, um, and the other part that you talked about that I really resonated with me is um, okay, if you're going to do this, are you, then what are you going to do with the information? Mm-hmm. And I remember with my youngest child, I had, I was going to be over 35 when I had him. And I said, well, I should get an amnio. Everyone gets an amnio. And my friend's dad, who's an OBGYN, who's not my OBGYN, but he said, so the only reason to get it is if you're going to do something with information, that's not positive from it. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, it's sort of that same, you know, 
I don't know, dealing with that kind of info. So it's so brave that you did it. And then you, you made some impactful decisions. So what were the, you know, what were the hardest parts? What were the hardest parts of surgery of recovery of talking to your family, talking to your mom that you've carried this genetic mutation as a mother? I, I'd have guilt, I guess. I don't know. Um, and like, what were those like tough moments? Like if you don't mind sharing any of them. Yeah. 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 Um, the first tough moment was being able to vocalize it. Right. So I got my test and I remember I got it in an envelope and I sat in my car and I just stared at it (laughs) and I was like, do I open this now? Do I wait? And I actually decided to wait. And then I had, I have, um, uh, thyroid, uh, issues as well. So I actually had another doctor's appointment that I was going to, and I went to it and because it was all in the same facility, they, she pulled up a chart. She's like, Oh, I saw that you did testing and she pulled it up. And on, on her computer screen, I saw the word positive. Oh God. And I hadn't opened the the envelope. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my, like, (laughs) am I reading that right? Is it like, because I did also other testing within it, it wasn't just, so I was like, okay, it could be something else. Maybe it's not the breast cancer. So I'm like freaking out a little bit. And I was like, ah, Hey, are are those my results? She was like, Oh, actually. And she like closed it. I think she saw that I saw it. And she's like, you should contact your doctor because there's a lot of information in here. I'm not even sure, like contact your physician. And so that kind of like sped up the process of me reading the envelope. So I the bandaid. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, But I I really wanted to be confident in my decision. Very similar to what you said. Like if you're going to get yes, or or if you did this process, like you're going to make some sort of decision. Um, But it was a matter of how quickly I was going to, to go through everything. So I, I sat with the envelope a little bit. I then opened it. It was in fact positive. I then scheduled my follow-up with my doctor who like laid out all the options I have. And my doctor very much was like, well, you have the ability to wait. Like you don't have to do this. And she was kind of adamant in, in that. And I respected it, but I also felt so sick, so nauseous, like I'm going to get it tomorrow. (laughs) Um, and then she told me the likelihood of it just based on my, my family history. And so at that point it became a, a no brainer to, to do it. I had access to what I felt was great physicians. I loved every step of it, but then it became like vocalizing it. Cause I wasn't really myself, right. I just had this new information and it was in my mind. And so I was going about my day, but not fully present because I'm thinking about something else. Um, and then I actually went a couple of my members at one of the studios in Los Angeles at Orange Theory had joined Orange Theory because she was coming back from her mastectomy revision and it was her wow. first time working out. And wow. I was like, well, if I'm going to talk to anybody, I'm going to talk to her. Yeah. So after class one day, I had told her that I recently tested positive and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And she was like, I got you, gave me her physicians. She had the most incredible experience. And I ended up seeing her doctors 
So had I not like spoken or, or done some sort of outreach, I wouldn't have had the experience that I had. So it was for me really crossing that bridge. I'm also such an introvert. So it was opening myself up to other people that were going through what I was going through. Yeah. Um, because I had my mom, but then I, I also felt this weird sort of. You don't want to burden her. I didn't want to burden her. And I also, I felt like. I didn't have grounds to be upset or scared because what my mom went through was cancer. And what I was going through was pre, like, I don't even, I don't have cancer. But so I felt guilty being scared or being upset because, and my mom is incredible and she was so there for me every step of the way. She felt guilty, right? She had all of these emotions. She felt so bad. And now I'm feeling bad because I don't have cancer, but I like, should I be feeling these things that I'm feeling? Uh, so that kind of jumped around a little bit, but no, it's a lot. I mean, that, but it understandably so, because you were, there's so many mixed emotions with that newfound power of decision. You then had to decide what you were going to do and sharing the information and, and then talking about it with your mom, I can imagine was really tricky, I would say. Yeah. But she was very supportive of anything I did. And she was like, I will be there every step of the way, no matter what you want to do. Um, so I had then made the decision. I felt like I had really great doctors. I met a few and, and I felt very confident with them and kind of created the team, right. Cause it took multiple doctors, yeah. um, and researched, diligently about what I wanted my end outcome to be because I'm not a vain person, but there is a whole aesthetics aspect. And then I started to share what I was going through with more people and I would get a lot of comments unsolicited for sure. But it was like, you're so young. Don't you want to have kids? Don't you want to breastfeed? But what about getting married? Aren't you worried what like your potential husband would think of your scars? Like I was getting all of these questions and then people were like, oh, so it's a boob job. And I'm like, <laughs> we, oh my gosh. So all of these thoughts and opinions were coming my way. So I think another empowering thing was being able to silence the noise, like being so sound and confident in my decision, knowing what I was doing and people's perception of that. They were welcome to have any sort of perception that they want but this is what I needed to do for me. And this is what was going to be the best choice for myself moving forward. Um, And yeah, I did have those thoughts of like, well, I won't be able to breastfeed and I'm not going to be able to feel my chest anymore. I understand that. So sensitivity goes out the way. And then I was like, and if my partner doesn't accept my scars, then he's not my partner. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you know, so it was just, being able to cancel noise and, and being secure. So that helped me feel empowered as well. Um, but the, the biggest thing, and it's something that I still start to, to struggle with is feeling, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but I started researching providers and there are so many different nonprofits and, and other communities through social media and stuff that have provider based communities and conversations. And I really wanted to speak on it or involve myself in it or like be a a role model for other women that are going to go through this or at least just 
open myself up to having conversations, but I, I felt this, this, like, there was always this thought in my head or this little voice in my head that was like, but you didn't go through anything. You didn't go through cancer. It's like cancer compared to what you did. Like it's night and day. It's, it's just, I had to learn that it's a separate experience. Correct. It's a very separate experience and both outcomes are to achieve health and wellness for women. And it, so it took me a really long time to not feel like what I went through was, it just felt like I, I went through something that was so impactful, but I kept trying to diminish it because it wasn't cancer. Yeah. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. But I think you, the way you, your conclusion was, is spot on, which is they're not comparable. You don't have to compare them. Just like if you have a really crummy day, it's okay. You know, you don't have to compare that to someone's horrific day. You know, the the horrors that happen in the world, it's your experience and it's your, what you've done. And it doesn't have to be compared to your mom's. Um, and in fact, yeah, they're like parallel lines. Um, Mm -hmm that have some intersection, but they're really parallel lines. And the advocacy that you can bring to the table does so much good. And it's eye-opening to so many women that I think it's, would be so sad if you didn't tell your your story as often as you could. And, you know, that woman that, that shared with you her experience when she had had her elective surgeries and gone through it. I mean, how, you know, life-changing I'm sure that was for you and the strength it gave you, or just the knowledge it gave you all those things that you're now giving out, I think is, is just absolutely incredible. I have a question for you, which is, do you think about your ovaries and has anyone talked to you about your ovaries? Yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, young, mm-hmm. And my guess is you haven't had kids yet. And so that's a whole different story. I mean, breastfeeding is like, so amazing, whatever. I didn't breastfeed any of my kids, so it doesn't matter. But, um, and then yeah. my mom didn't breastfeed any of us and she, I wasn't breastfeed either. yeah, so I'm fine. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And so, um, but what have you learned about that? And then mm-hmm. we can just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So my mom actually recently had a hysterectomy, so she still was not able to get tested, but because of my results and the conclusion, she decided, well, I'm just going to remove them anyway. I don't need them. I'm through menopause. I'm not going to have kids. Like, you know, yeah. so for her, it became a no brainer and watching that procedure for her, it was so not simple, but it was a, a no brainer for her. Mm-hmm. And she felt great on the other side. Cause she was experiencing that cloud of like, well, what if I get ovarian cancer? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I just get my, right now I get my regular exams. I just stay up to date with it. I don't miss my appointments. If anything is off, if like my, one of my cycles is drastically different from the other, I'm just constantly having conversations with my physician, Mm -hmm. um, which helps me feel empowered, Mm -hmm. but I do want to have children someday. So my, my plan as of now and things change, but my plan as of this moment is after I have kids to then remove them. Um, and most ovarian cancers, the research in the last, within the last decade is that most ovarian cancers actually start in your fallopian tubes. Yes. Yes. We talked about having your fallopian tubes removed, which I did at 40. And so did my sisters drastically reduces your chance of ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, 
before you go do a full hysterectomy. So yes, it, you are unable to have children without, if you get rid of your fallopian tubes, there's no question about that. Um, it's an outpatient surgery. It's done laparoscopy. It's not difficult at all. Um, and, but you still, you still produce estrogen. You still have Mm -hmm. your periods. You still have all those other good things inside of you, like your uterus and your ovaries. Um, until kind of menopause. And that was my doctor's recommendation was do this now yep. and then let's reevaluate, you know, 50, 55 and, and probably have everything out. But so it's a little like a in-between step. Um, but yeah, you have, you have to, you know, get those kids out before. And one of the things on that note that I found that's one of the hardest things for women who get this information, you know, okay, I'm going to test for BRCA1 or BRCA2 genetic mutations. And by the way, as you know, there's a slew of other genetic mutations out there, many of which don't have names to them. Um, And sometimes one of um, the head of our clinic at at USC, Dr. Linda Roman, who's like a angel put on earth, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. She says that when she sees women with such a robust history of cancer in their family, especially if it was early onset by a mother or grandmother or aunt, and you test negative for all genetic mutations, they'll still treat you as a very high risk patient because they feel like there's probably a genetic mutation you're carrying that they haven't identified yet. Um, And that could put you at increased risk for breast ovarian or another type of uterine cancer or cervical cancer. Um, And so it's this, you know, this idea of, again, what do you do with that information? And then how do you then make decisions? So, you know, I've talked to so many women over the years who, you know, lost a parent, lost a mother to ovarian cancer. Obviously they reach out to me. Um, and then they're like, okay, I'm going to test, but I'm 23. And what am I going to do if I find out I have, you know, a BRCA mutation that puts me at really increased risk for ovarian cancer. I want, I'm 23, I'm not married or I'm not with a partner. Or I, I'm not ready to freeze my eggs, like all of those things. Those are really hard decisions to make. Um, but my answer is always, and I think yours at this point is too, is that there's no, nothing good comes from sticking your head in the sand. And the more information and education you have and you're given by the right people. So you can, you know, not on digging deep into the internet and coming up with crazy ideas, but with, you know, real information from your doctors and your physicians who you've, you know, you've spent time with and you trust Mm -hmm. and making that law sort of long-term plan. It's, it's just a, it's a life changer. It's like a sharp right turn that opens like the shades and the light comes in, in my opinion. Yeah. With, um, absolutely with my mom, it was the first mammogram that she ever got. No way. Yeah. She just kept putting it off. Right. And like, I even like talking to my friends, right? Like everyone is so busy and their schedules are this and, you know, they're all over the place and they can't make time for their workout or they can't make time to do this, that, or the other, right? Everybody has an excuse about how busy their lives are. And I'm not saying that they're not busy, but you have to prioritize the things that matter and knowing your health and going to your, your doctor's appointments, those things matter and like cannot be pushed on the back burner. So even if you choose, and I I say this to my friends all the time who maybe they have a history of breast or ovarian cancer in their family, or maybe they don't, I'm like, just go to your appointments. 
if you like if you're not sure that you want to do all the genetic testing because you're scared of the response okay that's very fair but just go to your appointments stay on top of your health there's such an empowerment in just being able to do that and if you have the ability to go see a physician and it is no skin off of your back i don't see why you wouldn't you know and especially in this day and age without making it super political like we don't have all of the choices that we once did anymore they're starting to slip away so when you have the ability to make decisions for yourself make them and that's what's so empowering to me um and whenever you do it that's fine especially for a younger group of women that you know are in their 20s and want to have kids and have this plan just go to your doctor's appointments I mean, during COVID, it was such a a terrible eye-opener by the number of women that put off their annual gynecology visits, their mammograms, their ultrasounds. Um, It is the number of women who then have, you know, been caught later stage cancers sort of coming out of those bad first couple, you know, first year and a half of COVID was skyrocketed. And even women who had cancer and didn't stopped going to their appointments for their treatments. Um, It was so awful and so upsetting. And I mean, it's, you know, a hundred percent. And the funny thing is, is not the funny thing, actually. The hard part is that as women, and I say this all the time, we really, we do put our, in general, so many women put themselves last on their list mm-hmm. and do everything else before sort of taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it has, it's like, you got to put that mask on first. Otherwise you can't do all those other things. You can't take care of your friends, your family, your children, mm-hmm. your partner, unless you're healthy, unless you can get out of bed and yeah. feed them breakfast, if that's what you want to do. Um yeah. And it's really hard. Women have a really hard time doing that. However, if our car makes a weird noise, you'll like drive it straight to the shop, you know, um, and you won't put that off. Cause you're like, I need my car. What am I going to do without my car? Especially we're both yeah. in Los Angeles, but wait a second. Okay. That was like your whole day by the time you got there and you dealt and then you had to get somewhere else. Like getting your screening is not, is not that cumbersome, <laughs> like, right. but I think that because it's scary for Mm -hmm. so many people. And that fear of like, what am I going to be told? I don't, they just were like, I just will, I'll just wait. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, even going to the dentist, like, Oh, I don't want us to know if I have a cavity, I'm just going to not go. Mm -hmm. And that's so problematic (laughs) because things, if they do exist, they don't go away on their own and Mm -hmm. they, they get worse over time, not better. Um, And one other thing that you said, I think is important for us to just talk about is also what you do to, to screen for ovarian cancer and, um, and what I would recommend you do. So I definitely see your gynecologist and he or she does an internal exam and sees whether your ovaries are the, you know, normal in size and shape. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd recommend asking for a vaginal ultrasound. Mm-hmm. I think that's, um, that's one of the best tools. I don't think, I know it's one of the best tools we have if you're considered high risk to really mm-hmm. see what's going on in there. Um, and then knowing, like you said, which I think was really fanta- fantastic, that if you see any, feel any changes or you have changes in your menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. and it's really 
more broadly, knowing your normal is like my catchphrase. And so it's knowing your normal. So it's, you know, down to like your bowel movement schedule, you know, like we all have our normal and sometimes you travel and you go out of your normal, but then it comes back around. But if all of a sudden you're constipated for, you know, a long period of time or diarrhea for a long period of time or bloating right in your abdomen, you know, that as you get older, it's not abnormal and you work at Orange Theory. So I'm sure you see women who, you know, they gain weight around their middle. That's a normal place for women to put on. If you put on some pounds, that's sort of where you see it first. I guess lucky for me, it it goes head to toe. So I just get like bigger, (laughs) but, um, you know, but it's, it's really being in touch with those, those changes in your body Mm -hmm. and, doing exactly what you said, which is having constant conversations with your physician, which means having a physician that you, you trust Mm -hmm. that you can communicate with that will listen to you and that knows your history. And that's really, really important. And that's really hard for a lot of women based on, you know, where they live, Mm -hmm. their socioeconomic background, but it is, it's something that we should all strive for, for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, the reason I got into the fitness industry was I, I call it the light bulb moment. And I coach because I want people to learn about themselves, mm-hmm. whether that is physically, mentally, emotionally, and people lack awareness of what is going on in their body just because we're, we're on autopilot half the time. We're going yeah. about our day. We're worried about our kids. We're worried about our job. We're worried about our partners, right? Like you said, we think of ourselves last. So when people come in and they start to work out and they start to notice things about themselves, they have this moment of this like aha moment. And it could be, well, I'm capable of doing something I didn't think I could do. Or I noticed I really wasn't sleeping before and my sleep patterns were terrible. But like starting a fitness journey is a catalyst for just making healthier decisions along the way. And you just learn more about yourself. And I just think it's so important for men and women to know their bodies, Mm -hmm. just get so comfortable with yourself that, you know, the second something is off and the, the more in tune you are, the more confident you're going to be to go to your doctor and say, Hey, something's not right. Right. Cause how many stories do you hear of like, I was trying to say something was different, but I couldn't really describe it because I wasn't really sure. But if you just know your body or get comfortable knowing your body, it comes back to the idea of just empowering. Right. Yeah. Like go and say, this doesn't feel right. Like I, um, during COVID, I had a cyst on my ovary uh, rupture. I have cysts on my ovaries. Um, and I knew well before it was going to rupture that I had the cyst. And so I immediately, I was just like, I'm just getting this like dull pain and I need to know what it is. Yeah. And so I talked to my doctor and we did the vaginal ultrasound and she's like, well, you have cysts on your ovaries. And I was like, okay, I know it now. Um, and so just the slightest thing and never be afraid to ask questions. I always say that too. Never be afraid to ask questions. No question is dumb. You're all you're going to do is just learn a little bit more and knowledge is power for you to, to continue forward. So yeah, I'm a big proponent in just learning about your body. And if you're with a physician who poo-poos you or says, no, that's normal, or it's not a big deal, go to someone else. Someone else. Um, the number of women that have talked to me over the years that have said, you know, I knew it was weird. I was just like 
my diet hadn't changed. My exercise routine hadn't changed. And I just kept gaining weight right around my sort of lower underneath my belly button region. And my doctor just said, yeah, you're getting older. Like, you know, play a few more days of tennis during the week. And it was a, you know, it was a, a tumor on their ovaries. I mean, that, that's not always the case, but right. in a couple number of cases that is. And so it's, mm-hmm. no, that's not the right doctor for you. You don't want to cross the line into crazy where you drive yourself mad but there's definitely a lot of room to advocate for yourself nonstop because nobody else is going to do that. Absolutely. No one else is going to take that job. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so. there's a psychological component that if you get told no, or you get told that you're wrong once you're hesitant to go back and do it again, or especially from a doctor or, who, you know, yeah. seems like they're all knowing and went to medical school and should know the answer. Yeah. Or to start fresh with somebody new, right? It's like having a bad, bad relationship. Like it yeah. it changes your experience when you go to the next one, but yeah. I, I can't stress it enough how like that one experience shouldn't deter you from going to find somebody else and, and asking yeah. the same question, right? Like it's just because it's one terrible or not comfortable experience doesn't mean that every experience after that will be that way or has to be that way. Yeah. I, I mean, hundred percent in highlight it and <laughs> put it out there in skywriting a hundred percent. Um, well, this has been so wonderful and I'm really appreciative of you giving us your time and your, in, I mean, your just sparkle of energy and your, what you've gone through and the way that you're communicating it and the way that it has clearly changed your life is just, you know, inspiring to me. And I know really more importantly, helpful to a lot of other women. So I'm thank you for putting it out there. Um, I'm so glad your mom's okay. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the steps that you've taken and it's really, it's not to be, you know, sort of passed over that you, you did something really scary and you did it while you were going through a tremendous moment of time with your mom battling cancer. So to find out the information that you are at much more increased risk for breast cancer than the rest of the population while your mom's battling the disease. I mean, that is, that is almost unheard of. Um, and I think it's, you know, the courage that it took and then to make these really life-changing decisions, um, is no, no small feat. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I applaud you. That's not even, that doesn't even do it justice, but, um, it's really, it's really fantastic. And I think it's really cool that there's a community of pre-vivors out there. It's, it's pretty awesome. It really is. No, thank you. I appreciate the time. And I, where I once was shy or hesitant to, to share my story is it could be so impactful. And I'm seeing the impact that it has, even if it's just one person. Like I posted a story about checking yourself at home, doing a self-exam. And somebody had responded to me and said, I have my mammogram scheduled for tomorrow and I was going to cancel it, but I saw your post and I kept my appointment and I'm going. And I'm like, great. So like, it is so important to, to talk about it. And all that like shyness that I had is just completely gone because I just want women to be able to feel this sense of confidence and and empower themselves to live their best healthy lives that they can possibly. So I appreciate you allowing me this time to to share and, and talk about it. Thank you.